Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies and their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share a deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Mm. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds who met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where every week we journey to a galaxy far, far away and discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. We'll talk about how our relationship with the film has changed over time, how the film builds on what came before it, and forms our understanding of the Force. Finally, we'll provide you with some recommendations for other material you may enjoy if you also love these movies. And this <laughs> week, we are joined by a very special guest, back again from Bohemian Geek Studies. We have the princess of prequels herself, Flo Seagull. Hey guys, glad to be back. This hello, is fun. Hello. <laughs> Yay, we're so glad to have you back for the last prequel movie because, y'all, this is going to be... This is going to be a hot one. <laughs> a very steamy and fiery and burning podcast, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. A bit of a rough one. Just a little bit. Just tough breaks for a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> this week, our resolve has never been stronger, and we are reorganizing into a safe and secure podcast. Y'all ready to bring peace and security to my new empire? With thunderous applause. This is where the fun begins. As long as you'll still hold me like you did by the lake on Naboo. <laughs> always, hello. You know what? If you could send me to Naboo, totally. Let's let's do it. All right. Uh, starting off, as always, with a few technical details. This movie was right, widely released on May 19th, 2005. On a budget of $113 million, which is less than Attack of the Clones had by a couple of million, it made about... million domestic and over $460 million overseas for a total global box office of about $849 million, the second biggest success of 2005 behind Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So it's the second Star Wars movie in a row that lost out to a Harry Potter movie for being number one movie of the year. I mean, they definitely have the same hairstylist in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire as they did in this movie. (laughs) They definitely did. And, you know, just thinking back to that time, this was really when we are getting into this big modern age of multiple mega blockbusters, multiple franchises competing all at the same time every year. You know, nowadays it's comic book movies, everything, Marvel, DC, everyone's vying. But this was kind of the real start of that. But, you know, thinking back to that period, do you guys remember the first time you saw this movie? Do you Ultimately, do you like this movie? Where does it land in those uh, power rankings and how might that have changed over time? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it in theaters. Um, the May 19th was right before my birthday, so I'm sure I saw it on my birthday weekend. I do enjoy this movie. It's my favorite out of the prequels. 
it hits a lot of really good emotional notes. And I remember being really shocked in the theater when Order 66 happened. It was like, whoa, they're just really going to go for it here, I guess. This is not what I'm used to in Star Wars. Does the whole movie make sense narratively? <laughs> not all the time. I appreciate it a lot more now that I've watched Clone Wars, the series, and read the novelization of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's where Anakin and Padme's character get more page time and more screen time. It just lets their relationship develop better. And I still believe that everyone in the Senate thinks that Rush Clovis is the baby daddy, which is why nobody is talking <laughs> about it because he's dead and they just don't want to bring it up, which is fair. Um, Palpatine also has like longer talks with Anakin in the novelization of the movie. Yeah. And he's much more manipulative, like much more believably manipulative. In the movie, it's he's very heavy handed. And in the book, he just comes across more smooth. And then Anakin is also shown to be experiencing PTSD from the war. And he's sleep deprived from all these visions that Palpatine's giving him. So it makes much more sense when he kind of pulls the 180 because he's at this point in a dreams fugue state in the book. And it, it it's also so much better than the It movie. makes it a little bit more clear that Palpatine's giving him these visions. Yes. Yeah. Way clearer that Palpatine is pulling all of Anakin's strings at this point. He really almost doesn't have a choice in the book. We're here. It just shows him, whoops, I fell off the ledge and now I'm evil. Oh no. But mm, that part is not great. I do love Ian McDermott though. Him chewing the scenery in this movie, I'm here for. I'm here for all of it. How about you, Daniel? So I've been on a bit of a roller coaster with this one. It's <laughs> always been my favorite of the prequels i remember i saw it like i had just turned 12 uh like a week before this came out really loved this movie when i saw it um it was like when i saw it i was like oh my gosh order 66 in theaters seeing like the dooku duel all that stuff i was losing my mind because it was exactly what i wanted from the prequels finally and then like i started to get older and i was like oh these aren't as good as i remember and then I kind of fell off the wa- the wagon for a little bit on the prequels. But in hindsight, having watched The Clone Wars, like you were saying, this movie becomes so much richer to me. But I think that's also a detriment to it by the fact that it's now better to me because I have knowledge that I got much later on, which isn't great storytelling. But, you know, it's also a testament to how great Clone Wars is that it filled in the gaps where I'm like, oh, this is a great movie now. Where I watched on this rewatch and I had a blast. Um, I mean, yeah, the the lack of physical sets is a big detriment, and I know we're going to get into that a lot more later. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, I enjoy like ninety five percent of this movie. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm the one here to defend this movie today. Hey, I love that you defend it. Um, so I was fifteen when this movie came out, and you would think that like that would be like prime shirtless Anakin flows love interest time but I actually don't remember seeing this movie in theaters I'm sure I did but I have no recollection of it and I honestly don't remember liking this movie or like even thinking about this movie that much I definitely remember the hold me like you did by the lake on Naboo I thought that was great at the time I have it on a shirt (laughs) um but like definitely looking back I really, really struggle with this movie. I actually think that the CGI is so much better than Attack of the Clones, which is a a tick in its favor, I guess. But everything else, I think the dialogue in this one is way worse. And I'll get into this in my 
unbearables but overall like this movie does feel super rushed which is a huge struggle for me in tv and everything um i just think that the there are ending... no side quests <laughs> okay but a little bit though <laughs> there are a couple side quests like kashik was like unnecessary to show honestly <gasps> sorry i know but it's, like just like I needed more Anakin development, honestly, yeah. and just like take away the Kashyyyk minutes, even though like I want to see it, obviously, but it's just like they spent minutes on things that I didn't need. And the Anakin that we see at the beginning of the movie, without knowing how much time has passed, is not at all recognizable from the Anakin at the end of the movie. And they didn't really tell me why. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I understand that he's scared and I understand like that he doesn't want what happened to Shmi to happen to Padme. But, like, I don't believe it. So that's where I struggle in this movie. It's just not believable to me. But overall, you know, it's still fun. It's my second. Well, actually, no, it's not. It's it's at the bottom of my power rankings. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was, remember... like, trying to be nice. And then I was thinking about Phantom Menace. And I'm like, no, I actually like Phantom Menace better than this. I remember before I watched, like, Clone Wars or dived, dove deeper into lore, I remember thinking for some reason that, like, a full 10 years had passed between mm-hmm. Attack of the Clones and this one that the war had lasted for that long, but it's not, it's only like three years. Yeah, so for me, this movie has definitely changed the most out of any Star Wars movie thus far in my estimation since it came out. I remember I was in on the hype when it was getting released. I'm pretty sure I was like awed by it to a degree when it was in theaters. We did actually try to convince my English teacher at the time to take us on a field trip to see this movie on the basis that its plot is essentially Othello. But which it is. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but no dice, he wouldn't go for it. Uh, and since then, it's j- it's tanked for me, guys. I won't lie. This is my least favorite Star Wars movie. Um, I will admit that this rewatch was not quite as painful as I was anticipating. But again, that's probably just several years of expectations in my mind and prequel memes <laughs> setting those expectations for me. <laughs> But this is a movie that I think I probably disagree with the most people on. There are so many people who think that this is a the best prequel and it's like actually a pretty good movie. And I just don't agree. Fine. <laughs> I mean, I could right. not agree more. And you and I very rarely agree. So this is true. <laughs> this is going to be great. We can attest that that is true. <laughs> but that being said, there is not... There is not absolutely nothing to love in this movie. There are some really cool ships, some really cool aliens. So let's get into some of that stuff. I'm going to start mm-hmm. us off with Palpatine shuttle. That Theta class T2C shuttle does look really cool. It's got just like those kind of forebears to the Star Destroyers that the clones are all in. We had we see how this evolves into the design that we've seen in the original trilogy and in some of the other stuff. Also, this one definitely looks the most like the paperclip. Um, yes (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm not the only one here who probably was doing that with those big black paper clips making it the shuttle yeah yes Yes. oh yeah (laughs) oh man man. (laughs) surprise surprise once again i'm here to talk about a lego set that i loved (laughs) because that's how most of these all become my favorites the v-wing starfighter that we see escorting palby's shuttle uh, that is one of the coolest ones that I remember from this movie. Um, it's just, I don't know why they just stuck with me as a kid. I mean, I had the Lego set and you could play it in star Wars on the video games and I became hooked. Like it's one of my favorites. Very, very true. 
And so moving into some of the aliens or the droids, this first one is not particularly a droid. And even though the opening crawl said he is unbearable. Well, he's the commander of the droids, <laughs> ergo droid commander. Still, that's just not, not acceptable. Bad and, English phrasing you know, right there. Crawl writers. And clarify <laughs> it, George. I might say that he he doesn't necessarily look that great rendered on screen. Mm. But General Grievous is, in his right, a decently cool character. He is a ruthless Kalish male with numerous cybernetic parts. In fact, the only the only parts of him that are organic anymore are his brain and a few vital organs. Everything else is gone from his original body. The reason he's wheezing because his vital organs are partially rejecting those cybernetics. Uh, the novelization also mentions that Mace Windu crushed his crushed his uh, chest plate, causing irreparable damage. It also is a nice little foreshadowing to the breather that Vader's ultimately going to have. Mm-hmm. Now in Legends canon, at least, I forget how much of this has actually made it into proper canon. It is revealed that Dooku Insidious arranged for his ship to crash secretly, of course, and basically framing the Republic, which killed his family and left him so crippled that allowed for his rage to drive him and caused him to agree to all those enhancements. They were basically building him to be the leader of the destroyed army. They just had their fingers in every pie across the galaxy. Well, now mm-hmm. I feel bad for him, and now I feel bad. So, well, he was pretty ruthless well, before so that. You don't yeah, have I mean, to feel yeah. bad for him for too long, because I believe the current canon now is that he just kept like cybernetically altering himself until he became like a monstrosity. Okay, so like yeah, he's... Yeah. He's not as blameless anymore in canon, so. Yeah, he's a bad, he's still you a bad You can hate guy. on. <laughs> okay, good. A little bit of backstory is always nice so that you can see that they're not just completely one-dimensional, but he's still a bad person. <laughs> I mean, when he, like, hops and, like, looks like a spider, like, I'm out. I'm out on cybernetic spider mm-hmm. Grievous. No. Mm-hmm. That part looks awesome. No. I like how he does this little, like, backflip roll thing onto the rolly ship that he uses on Utapau. I love that. That looks really cool. Yeah, that Even though cool. I was still like, ew, gross, grievous. No. Next in our never-ending and next in our endless parade of animals that we love and then they die, we have the Varactyl, which is Obi-Wan's lizard companion on Utapau. Her name is Boga. <laughs> in the novelization, it's implied that Boga takes the cannon shot for Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. So oh, he has man. a chance to survive. So she puts herself in the way of the cannon fire because she can sense it coming and saves it. They have a bond and he like has full on conversations with her. Yes, it's adorable. Guys, this is why my Zoom just crashed. This is why my Zoom just crashed because you were about to tell me this and emotionally wreck me. I already knew all of this about Boga and my, my body still just couldn't accept it. I couldn't hear it again. I love her. She's one of my favorite creatures in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, speaking of creatures on Utapau, uh, we need to talk about the Powin. Those are the native aliens to Utapau, and they are those Nosferatu-looking guys. Mm-hmm. They are yes. seriously tall and menacing-looking, but most of them are very peaceful, and they are not okay with Grievous hiding out on their world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're the ones who tip off Obi-Wan. But uh, we also do have some villains of theirs. The notable villain from Star Wars Rebels, the Grand Inquisitor, is of the same species. All right. So next, we also have Mas Amida, that red shirt forker. 
This Shagrian was the vice chair of the Senate, and we've seen him throughout the prequels, but here we see him become vizier, you know, mm. that thing Jafar was in Aladdin. Mm. The grand vizier mm. technically is what Jafar was. So. Yes. Uh, yes. In the empire. So he'd retain his power throughout the empire and eventually become de facto emperor after Palpatine's death, although he had little real influence at that point. He did sign the Galactic Accords, which ended the war, and he was allowed to remain as a figurehead of Coruscant's government. He's just such a weasel. Mm -hmm. And you see his face when Yoda comes in to fight the Emperor. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to go <laughs> this way now and let you guys work this out. <laughs> just like such a douche. <laughs> he seriously just hides here, on yeah. Coruscant. Just hides. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, oh, so moving in to kind of our main discussion here. Untouchables and Unbearables. What about this movie is absolutely perfect? And what just doesn't quite work uh daniel you want to start us on this one yeah i'll uh, i'll start the defense early here so <laughs> as you guys know i'm a sucker for spaceships uh so the opening sequence is i think it's my opening it's my favorite opening sequence of all the star wars films uh it's just so much fun seeing like that opening shot of coruscant and then all of a sudden the music starts and then you just hear the sound of the, the starships rush by oh i it gets me going every time. I used to get up as a kid and just put that into the family computer and watch that opening scene like early in the morning because I just, I love space. Also in that scene, you get Obi-Wan calling a clone pilot oddball. Um, I'd never caught that before this rewatch. Mm -hmm. It's nice seeing a named clone in the movies beyond Commander Cody, you know, yeah. helps set up for what we see in the Clone Wars when we see how much of a personality they all have. And then mm -hmm. also Ewan McGregor is just fun in this movie. And it's a hot. less uptight Obi-Wan <laughs> and very hot. That perfect haircut <laughs> and beard choice. Yeah, I um I love this movie for various reasons. Obi-Wan is among them, um, for many reasons. Uh he's his banter is so fun in this movie. I just this is my favorite. He's my definitive Obi-Wan. I'm sorry, Alec Guinness. Episode three Obi-Wan is my Obi-Wan. Um, and then the Dooku duel at the beginning, it's like the whole opening act, I think is one of my most like enjoyable. I can sit down and watch that anytime. Um, that duel is just so much fun. And then just seeing uh, Palpatine play those strings and get Anakin to uh, decapitate Dooku like that. Like, oof, it gets me like I get chills every time. And then also, I know, I know, Flo, that you said we could cut out Kashyyyk. I love the Wookiees <laughs> and I have wanted to see that planet for so long. And I very much think that Kashyyyk should have been where they were in Return of the Jedi instead of Endor. Cause I'm sorry, Ewoks. I want the Wookiees. <laughs> so this was the vindication. We finally get the planet that I've been waiting for. I wish and we saw of more of them fight. I wish we saw more of them fighting though. Like I wish we saw them just like yes. ripping droids to shreds with their bare see, hands. This is why, this is why I feel like episode one is kind of a waste. We should have gotten more than just one portion of this movie dedicated to the Clone Wars. Yeah. Because we really needed that to see Anakin's fall. So that kind of leads me into my uh, my unbearables there. It's just, it feels like there's a lot of wasted concepts in the prequels. Uh, speaking of Maul, Dooku, Grievous, they're all interesting villains and they get so little screen time. Um, like, you you really barely get to connect with any of those villains and i feel like if we had had one 
solid villain to kind of mirror Anakin's fall throughout, that would have been a little bit more interesting. Um, if you guys could choose uh, between Maul, Dooku, and Grievous to be like the ancillary antagonist for the whole prequels, who would you choose? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We all know who Colleen's I know who yeah. Colleen's choosing. Colleen, just we, we get us started that. so you can... Uh... Oh, man. I mean, it's really difficult because I think Dooku is actually the better pairing for Palpatine yeah. as his apprentice. Um, Maul, he doesn't even... He calls Maul his apprentice, but he doesn't really think of Maul as his maybe person who could take me down eventually. Maul's a tool for Palpatine. Exactly. Although he was my favorite out of the three, <laughs> I think that realistically if we were keeping one secondary villain it should be dooku which is why i think clone wars does so well to develop him even more yeah he really is great in clone wars mm -hmm. like i would i mean i would love to pick maul <laughs> but we get we get I a lot of maul to pick maul too. too exactly and grievous i mean they get so much more yeah. screen time in clone wars very true yeah, they, they get it in Clone Wars, but I just kind of wish in the movies we had had a more fleshed out, yeah. you know, side villain. Mm -hmm. Anders, um, Flo, what do you guys think? Who would you I'm pick? going Dooku as well for all the same reasons. Yeah, I would say Dooku. I mean, give me three movies of Christopher Lee. Just. Oh my gosh, yes. That sort of presence on screen. Plus, Maul functions so well as an outside antagonist, not necessarily yeah. as Palpatine's right hand that i wouldn't want to sacrifice Fair. any of that from clone wars and rebels right Fair. Rebels, i like those answers <laughs> watch both of them um also the over choreography in this movie is a little bit goofy sometimes like when they're they're uh anakin and obi-wan are dueling on mustafar and they are facing each other and they both twirl their lightsabers and are not hitting each other at all i timed it it's, like, it's three full doing? seconds it is three full seconds. I told my roommate that that is way more than just a second. I knew I it was it. at least three seconds. It's so goofy. Um, and then when they're doing like the Pirates of the Caribbean swinging on the cables, going back and forth at each other, like what are we doing? Um, I love, I love the Anakin Obi Wan duel. I think it's so much fun. But then there's just certain portions that I'm like, okay, if we could just cut some parts. Uh, like when they're on the pipe and they're just slowly like trying to balance on it. Like we don't, we don't need to see that. Just give us the duel, give us the emotional aspects of it. Um, and then the romance is just, it's not great. It's not great. It's never been great. And it's still bad in this one. Uh, the dialogue is still cheesy as hell. Um, it's slightly better than attack of the clones maybe. And I said that in the script and now I'm like, but at least you had the lake scene in Attack of the Clones, this, you just get nothing. It's bad. It's just bad in this movie. That is like the active part of this movie I cannot stand. Um, and that, and I will pass this off because it's not as much uh, my issue to gripe on. I imagine uh, Flo, Colleen, you have some thoughts on this, but Padme being so passive this whole movie and then just dying of sadness is just peak bad men writing women. It's just, oh, yeah. I'm gonna I don't blame Natalie <laughs> at all for not bringing her a game. Like, yeah, it's, it's so bad. It's so dumb. And that's not what Padme is as a character. And they cut the scene where she's helping form the Rebel Alliance. Like, are you kidding me? Mm. Like, George, what were you doing? Yeah. What yeah. were you doing? I personally, I like the theory that Sidious was actually draining her life force and like infusing it into Anakin to make Vader. Mm -hmm. But receipts are it didn't happen. 
Like you can't exactly. just retcon your way it. out of how bad that her yeah. death was. Yeah. Padbe was a great character who got shafted. And yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Colleen, you've got some thoughts on this in a, in a little bit. But yep. Dana, when I read this in when you put it in the script, I did want to bring up one of my favorite George R. R. Martin quotes ever. Uh, at some point he was at like a press event and you know, Song of Ice and Fire is not without its certain levels of misogyny, but he mm-hmm. does tend to write his characters very well. And a reporter asked how he was able to write such compelling female characters. And he just responded, I've just always assumed, you know, that women are people. <laughs> what? What? I mean, oh, what Shocking. a novel concept. <laughs> but oh, moving man. on, Colleen. Yes. On to you. Uh, Padme, 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 Padme. Even in the novelization, some of her parts, I'm like, no. Stover, step back. Why did he make Padme a viewpoint character if he can't write women very well? I just spent this whole movie thinking she was a freaking idiot. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, the deleted scene where she's helping form the rebellion. Where is it? Like, Bail Organa didn't just make this up out of nowhere. <laughs> Padme mm-hmm. actually was very integral with helping with that. Like, mm, at least show that she's like doing more things than being pregnant and waiting around for Anakin because that is all she's doing. And what the hell is she actually thinking this entire movie? Like she is surprised that he killed younglings when she knows he slaughtered an entire Tusken Raider village. The women and the children and the dogs. Just three years ago. Just three years ago. He know she knows because he told her and she has no reason not to believe that he did that. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Also, her wardrobe in this, you guys. <laughs> no woman, regular woman, let alone pregnant woman, would wear a full-on evening gown with gems and pearl sleeves to bed. This was in my notes as well. I literally wrote, yeah. what is she wearing? Yes. And Look, she's got if she's going to like and she's got the Coruscant on. Met Gala? Yes. If yeah, she's going to like, like the Coruscant Met Gala, like cool awesome outfit you're beautiful yes go into bed man the off the shoulder pearls what is happening they're gonna dig into your pregnant skin and you are gonna be a miserable wretch in the morning like this is not acceptable just oh no also her baby bump fluctuates throughout the movie the ending baby bump is nowhere near large enough to hold twins especially monstrously sized babies that come out of her at the end of this movie Mm-hmm. logistically just not right like where were the women on the set being like natalie portman needs to weigh at least 20 plus pounds more in the belly area for whatever is happening with these babies and then the dying of the broken heart i just cannot you guys i cannot it strips every single ounce of fight and purpose that padme had shown in the beginning two movies like she's a feisty queen. She is not just going mm-hmm. to die of a broken heart because her freaking husband who is violent anyway choked her out. Like this is, no, <laughs> she would not die of a broken heart. I do like the theory, Anders, that you said about Palpy using a force connection to drain her life force or that Anakin is doing it accidentally because they're so well connected that he's just kind of leeching her life force from her because he wants to stay connected to her and not die. And then he's kind of doing it himself, which would be fun an interesting thing that could have happened but no instead she just dies because she's sad 
all while her babies are being born. Like this, it just makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever what happened with Padme's character, a character assassination. This is, I think, the thing that gets even worse after Clone Wars because Padme is so strong, even more in Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And then we get this Padme and she feels like a completely different character. Yeah, it's just not... It's Sorry. bad. Okay, Padme rant over. <laughs> End of Padme rant for me. The clones too, the only reason I feel so connected to the clones is because of watching the Clone Wars. You do not care mm-hmm. about these people. You don't care that they're gunning down their generals who are their friends. Like I remember first seeing the movie, I was like, oh, dang, this is sad that the Jedi are dying, but I didn't really connect it to the fact that their men and their friends were killing them. This is so much better after seeing the animated show. However, heading towards my untouchables, Order 66 sequence is nearly flawless. It, like the cutting and the editing of this, these scenes together are really well done. Hits me in the feels, man. When you know, yeah. like when you see Yoda, when Yoda is like crumbling and trying to stand, yeah. when he feels his fellow Jedi dying, that is really well done. And at one point, Frank Oz's voice work kind of falters where he's, he can't quite speak. And I love that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like hit me in the feels, even though Yoda, this is partially your fault because. Um, partially. You, well, <laughs> I'm being kind, being kind to Yoda here. He shoulders a large, large portion of the blame of what happens mm-hmm. to the Jedi Council and their fall. I also really like the duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan, even though some of the dialogue is atrocious. At least they're selling it. Like they're doing their best to sell the dialogue. You can really feel Anakin's rage. Like Hayden Christian does really well in this part. And Obi-Wan's pain. Like they're trying to kill each other. And you can tell that they actually love each other, which is really sad. I did Mm -hmm. notice the last look that Anakin gives Obi-Wan before he is set on fire by the lava is like pleading right after he said he hated him. And I hate you! that, (laughs) That part I'm like a little bit not on. But then his final look when he looks at him like, please help me. And Obi-Wan doesn't. I was wondering, yeah. do you guys think that if Obi-Wan had been like, screw this, thrown both lightsabers and like run down and helped him, do you think that Anakin could have turned back or at least surrendered? Like, Obi-Wan basically just gives He up. wouldn't have had much choice on the surrendering front. He had well, yeah. half an arm left. This is true. But I mean, he could I... have still like fought him <laughs> a little bit. Like, ah, I'm going to bite your kneecaps off or something like, <laughs> like that. But I mean, do you think that it, he could have been saved in this moment if Obi-Wan had reached out. I maybe. Think... Go ahead, Daniel. Maybe, but I think Obi-Wan had just fully get, like, he he is done at this point. Mm-hmm. He he tried everything he could. I think it was too, Except too, little, too late from Anakin. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, he did. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think once uh, Anakin does that whole, well, then the Jedi are evil. Yeah. And then uh, Obi-Wan's, you are truly lost. I was like, okay, all right. I guess, guess it's over. Like, I, I, you like to hope, but I don't think, I don't, you like to hope, but I don't think so. So, no. obviously, like, I'm the resident, like, Anakin apologist in this, <laughs> like, all the time, but there are so many points along the way where Anakin could have been saved. Mm-hmm. This is, like, the final point where he could have been saved until Luke eventually saves him. But all that Anakin ever wanted was for somebody to just love him and to like accept him and to be with him. And that's like 
the only people who have done that for him are Shmi and Padme. And then he lost Shmi. And so his greatest fear is to lose this one other person that he has. Like Obi-Wan has been this amazing father figure and mentor for him. But in his moment of need, he's always left him. Even in like Attack of the Clones, like we see Obi-Wan berating him like repeatedly. And like, we don't know what's happened between age nine and age 19 in all the ways that Obi has like really made Anakin stop being who he is in order to fit in to the Jedi ways. And it's like, Anakin just wanted to be Anakin. Like he didn't ask for any of this. Like he just wanted to be happy with like, to go back for his mom and like find a girl who loves him and just like have like a little moisture farm or whatever, (laughs) you know? Like he didn't ask for any of this. I do think that if Obi-Wan had turned around and said like, you know what, F the Jedi, like thrown the lightsabers and been just like, I do love you, Anakin, not the idea of you, not that you're going to bring balance to the force, but just like you as a person, as a human, and like, I'm here to help you. Then I think Anakin could have turned back. I mean, he hadn't been dark for that long. (laughs) Like, if he can turn dark that quick, he can turn light that quick, too. He's very, uh, he's very quick to change. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. this This is one of those questions that I think had I not watched Clone Wars, I might I might say yes. But given what we've seen in Clone Wars, especially some of the stuff we saw in season seven about the long the long turn that he's gone through, that I I don't think so. I think he was beyond redemption at that moment. Now obviously he gets there, eventually rediscovering the love of his son and finally understanding a certain degree of self-sacrifice and selfless love. Mm-hmm. That's my problem also with Anakin's whole relationship with Padme is that he's just so possessive, which mm-hmm. makes me almost ask the question, are they actually in love, like truly? Or... How can they be? Who has taught him how to love? What yeah. love has he seen? I think Honestly, he loves like, the I'm irate about Padme. this. <laughs> Yeah. Flo, when I asked this question offline like a few weeks ago, you almost like jumped down my throat like, how <laughs> dare you ask such a thing? <laughs> I just think like it is ridiculous to expect somebody to love somebody properly without an example of love. And Anakin has not had that example. He was raised a slave from a single mom. Like we don't really know what their relationship was like, but we know that Shmi probably had a really, really hard life. There was yeah. no father. He's never seen somebody love his mom and so he's he's never seen those relationships in his life and so he can't model them on anything the only relationship he's had were with jedi who can't be attached and so of course like what does he want to do he wants to attach himself to whoever he possibly can he saw this girl who saved him from slavery in his eyes are is she an angel yes she is an angel (laughs) anakin she's an angel she was beautiful and she was new and she took him out of slavery and she happened to be a queen like it's perfection and so yeah i mean is it is it like a good love no but it was good for anakin and padme loved it and i mean it worked for them and it sucks that it didn't pan out and i'm mad about it i'm mad about it (laughs) i think they were in love i i hate the idea where people are like well he used the force to make her fall in love with i'm like no no absolutely she's way too strong no she's too strong-willed for that i mean this padme maybe (laughs) yeah revenge of the sith padme maybe but not like real queen amidala padme nabiri no he did not make her fall in love with him via the force that yeah all right Flo, you're untouchables and unbearables. <laughs> okay. 
other than, other than this whole love story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, I don't like this movie. It's at the bottom of my power rankings of all of the movies. Um, so it's it's not great. I do have a couple untouchables. There are some great things in this movie. I think, although I hate it as a teacher and a human being, Anakin slaying the younglings is horrific and iconic. First of all, that little kid should be given an Oscar for being like, there's too many of them. What do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that kid. The look in Anakin's eyes like haunts me and will haunt me forever. And it is like this moment, I can see where he's heading, like in terms of the progression to Vader, for sure. Whereas there's other moments like, whatever, I'll talk about this in my opening scene sequence. Um, I love the Grievous Obi-Wan with the classic hello there. I am like obsessed with that. It is untouchable. It's actually my computer <laughs> sound when somebody plugs something into my USB port. It goes, hello there. You yes. take it out. It says General Kenobi. It's great. I am obsessed with it's it. It's a very interesting kink you got there, Flo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Thanks, Daniel. You can, you can hear it off screen if you'd like to, to hear it. It's, yes, it please. It happened when I plugged in my mic. So <laughs> I'm great. sure it's it did. <laughs> yeah. I know, little do you know. <laughs> um, okay, so like Daniel, I also love the opening scene in Media Res. It's great. Um, I But the thing with this scene is even there, we see Anakin so light, right? Like the clone troopers are in trouble and he's like, I'll go back and help them. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, like you're still like such a good guy. And then he, like, won't leave Obi-Wan. And it's like, okay, he killed Dooku, fine. But, like, we hated Dooku anyways. So it wasn't good. I'm not saying it was good. But, like, he wasn't, to to me, that wasn't stepping stones to Vader. And so they didn't just, they just didn't give me enough stepping stones. And then, of course, the reason why I'm on this pod today (laughs) is to tell you the number one untouchable, which is Anakin sleeping shirtless, which we get for all of one second but I wish he just didn't wear a shirt the entire movie. Thank you, George Lucas, for giving us shirtless Hayden. It was what we all needed in 2005. And today, today it continues. (laughs) He does look really good. (laughs) I mean, nice abs, bro. I mean, nice abs. Thank you to whoever turned the thermostat up. The sweat sheen is great. Oh, can I just say something else, too? I didn't even put this on the notes, but I have to say, I don't know where they're living, but their apartment is nice. Okay? Beautiful. That may is like high-ranking senator apartment. Like, dang, the fountain. The fountain. I want it. Me too. Which no one seems to notice that Anakin is, like, sleeping in. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> There's no security whatsoever. Nobody's gossiping. There's no, uh, like magazines reporting on the tabloids they just today. make out in the senate lobby yeah where is space twitter exactly exactly <laughs> but yeah love the pad the pad is great okay in terms of unbearable the idea that this script is better than attack of the clones is laughable to me <laughs> no way <laughs> this entire script needs to be thrown out like don't even look it over to start from scratch this is horrific this is so much more cringe than Attack of the Clones. This is the absolute worst. Padme brushing her hair on the balcony. I will have nightmares about this. <laughs> like, I understand that the lake scenes are not for everybody. I understand that people don't like the meadow. Okay, fine. But Padme brushing her hair while Anakin stares at her 
like a creeper is just like no 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 maybe mm-hmm. you're blinded by love blah blah, blah. shut oh, up yes. oh my god so stop bad. like you're already married just like that is not how married people talk to each other i'd be like hey can you brush my hair and like get me a totino's pizza roll or something like, <laughs> hell what? yes like, what? the way marriage should be exactly thank you mm-hmm. so yeah that was crazy speaking of hair hayden's hair is also a big no i don't know what was happening in 05 but like give the man a haircut he, his hair looked way better in Attack of the Clones. I, I can't. I can't yeah. out with this. Okay. Fully agree with Colleen on the costume choices, which were wild, specifically for Padme. Just crazy. Like, again, with the pregnancy thing, like, where's her pregnancy pillow? Where is Anakin doing, like, nice things for her because she's pregnant? Yeah. Like, get out of here. Okay. I'm going to, like, go out of order in my notes. But the most cringe thing about this pregnancy is... Why does she say that the queen won't let her keep her Senate job? Right. Like, that made me so mad. It is like, you can't have kids and a job. That is insane. So, like, what is Padme supposed to do? Just, like, move back to the lake country of Naboo and raise her kids without a dad? And, like, is she going to tell them who their dad is? Like, what happens? What's their plan? There's no plan. They don't have a plan. (laughs) No, there's no plan. No plan. (laughs) The worst. And then I know some people do like this one, but I hate it. Like, I have to look away. The Mace Palpy scene <laughs> where... Thank Mace you. Just, like, it's so much better in the book. Oh, my God. When Mace Windu gets yeeted off the window, like, <laughs> they just, like, punted him to the other side of Coruscant. You, like, that's, like, one of my favorite parts. That's an no. untouchable when they I, eat Mace. <laughs> I swear to God, if they bring him back from the dead in some like in some new thing, I'm gonna be so mad. No, no he is dead. He better be dead. They or need or to if he's not dead, he dead. better be evil. <laughs> yeah, I, I I cannot with this whole scene. Like, just Anakin coming in really at that exact moment. How long was Anakin just like waiting? And how long did it take Mace to get there? It, like, got dark. It's like, wait, what is happening? And then like just the whole force lighting, and then the the dialogue in that scene is just abysmal abysmal i i just can't i hate the cgi of it i just i hate everything about it just take it away and then all of a sudden like anakin on his knees like okay like kind of hot like i'll take him on his knees for sure but like it just it's too much it's too much too soon and i can't yeah anyway uh, and then, you then are when forgetting he turns, he's like what have i done i now i'm evil <laughs> yeah exactly right what have i done i listen to only you master this is fine <laughs> You are forgetting, though, the iconic and beautiful line, I am the Senate. And then he yeah, flips oh out his yeah. little lightsaber and screams. So That beautiful. is movie Wait, but perfection. Also, like, <laughs> Palpy flipping in the air. What? And, like, and then they cut to Ian McDiarmid doing the worst lightsaber yeah. fighting. Ian, we oh, love yeah. you as yeah, Palpatine, yeah, yeah. but you're not a duelist. I just need to say, Palpy <laughs> killed those Jedi way too fast. The other yes. Jedi. In that the book, crazy. they last yes, a lot longer. I will... Uh, Yes. All right, go on because I know. Go, you're Anders. Go I've, been, I've been itching to do this, guys, ever since I found out we were doing this podcast. <laughs> Buckling. <laughs> we were in. doing this whole thing. I've been prepping this, and I will say I was not anticipating the the amount of support for my takes here amongst you guys. Usually, I have been the extreme minority with these takes on this movie <laughs> because I love Star Wars. It is mm-hmm. great, and if you find things that you love about this movie. I'm so happy for you. Absolutely. 
And I will start this segment by giving some credit where it's due. Hayden Christensen levels up in this movie in terms of his acting from Attack of the Clones. We talked about him being the absolute weakest link last time. Mm -hmm. He absolutely, I don't know if he took some classes or if he just got more comfortable on set or whatever it was, but he stepped it up with his performance in this movie. That being said, this movie is just not good. It is not the best of the prequels. It's not a particularly good movie overall. Just about everything that people say is really good about this movie is better in episode one or episode two. And pretty much everything people complain about in episode one or episode two, with the possible exception of Jar Jar, because he's really not in this movie, is worse in this movie. So I gave Hayden some credit, but let's start with the acting here. Um, The scenes between Obi-Wan and Padme are terrible. They are awful. This is soon to be Oscar winning actress, Natalie Portman, and very soon to be Emmy winner, Ewan McGregor. They both maybe have actually won Golden Globes at this point. And this is what they delivered. I will take Hayden's Anakin sand monologue any day of the week over Obi-Wan or Padme doing killing younglings. Yep. Clutching the pearls. And in that opening scene that, Daniel, you said you love so much, I'm sorry, but (laughs) Obi-Wan, where they get trapped by the field, and Obi-Wan just goes, hang on, we're smarter than this. It is bad. I love it. It is terrible. First of all, the line itself is completely unnecessary. Like, it doesn't even need to be there at all. And Ewan's delivery of it is just terrible. All right, on to Ian McDermott, who I was actually thinking about it. We made it through our entire Attack of the Clones pod without mentioning. So, Colleen, you mentioned it. I don't know. You mentioned it. He chews the scenery with everything he's in. First of all, there's no scenery for him to actually chew in this movie. But (laughs) he also loses all goodwill very early on when Dooku is dueling. And he does that weird, like, get it, get it. That That's whole thing. Hurt. It's just like, what? The, why? Why did you put that in there? Also, he loses it all with that weird frog facial expression when he's, and he does the voice. He's like, no, no. It's just so free. Why? What the <laughs> is going on? And then there's absolutely no explanation about the facial scarring, about why that happened. Like, as far as we knew up to this point, we weren't sure if when he had the hood up in the previous movies, if he had that kind of waxy white skin thing going on, or if he was just human under the hood. And I mean, was he wearing a mask? Was this all a resort to the force lightning? What are the rules? What's going on? Mm-hmm. All right, now let's move into the fights. <laughs> uh, Mace versus Sidious. Flo, you were talking about this earlier. They're moving so freaking slow. Oh <laughs> my God. First of all, Palpatine managed to take out the two Jedi masters at the pace of a freaking youngling with the training drone saber (laughs) and they just stand there also speaking of that every single time someone dies by lightsaber in this movie they do a very slow over dramatic (laughs) and it's just so weird then he's facing mace and he does those weird like pursed lips like and the weird frog face again like He and Mace are moving so slow and smooth. They look like they're doing like Tai Chi on the beach. Now, part of this is not necessarily (laughs) their fault. I think this is actually due to the fact that George Lucas decided he wanted close-ups of them during this fight. 
so they didn't have stunt performers doing it with like a digital face on it like they did for Dooku versus Anakin and Yoda in the last movie he really wanted those close-ups so they had to learn how to do this themselves and I'm sorry they weren't in the physical shape to do it yeah and they're supposed to be two of the best duelists like yeah (laughs) all right moving into Sidious versus Yoda I'm just gonna say it Yoda looks like garbage throughout this entire movie I don't know what happened to the CGI. I, maybe it's just that they overused it on the digital performance, but it took a dive from Attack of the Clones. And then they overused his whole spinning fighting style. I know that is his lightsaber style, but it's just, it's over again. And then Sidious is so stiff in his movements. It looks so freaking weird. The way he deploys the force he looks like he can't actually raise his upper arms. He's just like T-Rexing the whole time. Yeah. And then the Senate set just looks bad. Uh, more on that in a second. Moving on to Anakin versus Obi-Wan. Again, want to give credit where it's due. Hayden and Ewan put a lot of work into learning the choreography from the scene. If you watch the documentary and stuff, they are training very hard. And they mm-hmm. do pull it off in the beginning. It yeah. starts out great. They have that intensity. Everything is great. Mm-hmm. Then you lose me when, again, they spend three full seconds, feet planted on the ground, <laughs> waving their lightsabers at each other. Why? <laughs> also, I have a major problem across all of these fights when they insert the digital sun performers. They just don't look good. You can absolutely tell when it's happening. Now we get to the high ground. The line that launched a million memes. Can we take just a second here and talk about the mechanics of rivers and hillsides? Anakin stays on that barge thing for three extra seconds and he is down river and then can easily get up to equal footing with Obi-Wan, if not higher. Also, knowing everything we know about his abilities in the Clone Wars, he could absolutely, cap- he is capable of jumping like a foot higher to get out of the range of the lightsaber. Duel of the Fates was such mm-hmm. a better fight yes. than this one. Yeah, you know what it's missing? Ray Park. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> An actual True. martial artist. Yeah. And now the absolute weakest part of this movie, I've alluded it throughout the whole thing, much worse than they did it in Attack of the Clones. The special effects in this movie are just bad. Guys, mm. um, I talked about Yoda, but the set pieces, Nothing in this movie looks real. It looks like a video game trailer, which maybe Daniel, I don't know. That's why you like it so much. Um, <laughs> no, I like a little like, bit better. CGI. It looks like there those video, some video it looks game like trailers the, look better. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It looks like those video game trailers where it definitely looks better than the actual gameplay is going to be, but it's still not at the yes. quality you would expect from a cinematic release. I mean, in that opening scene, R2-D2, you've been putting R2-D2 on a big screen for almost... 40 years at the 30 years at this point and you make him look terrible now and then he does that he has that weird oil sludge thing that looks like it belongs in shrek it's just so bad and same thing when vader's like big no destroys the lab like everything it's things are crumbling and liquids are spilling and they don't look real they don't look like liquid and then the clones Mm -hmm. the clones look terrible in this movie in this movie and in episode two they did not build a single physical set of clone armor it's all digital and in this movie it shows in this movie it shows 
anytime you see Tamara Morrison's face, it doesn't actually line up with his body. And in scenes with multiple versions of him, if you look at the clones, like peppering the background and even like right next to the main characters, they look like their faces were rendered on a PS1 or an N64. I fully agree. That bothered me so much on this watch. In the opening fight scene, the clone pilots hey, where hey, they have at least a Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad that it's Tamara Morrison over and over again. It's just not digitally rendered very well. <laughs> yeah, in the opening scene where they the pilots actually have like masks where you can see their face they they don't line up right they're oddly flat it's just yeah no no this was also this was a really strange time in hollywood guys when they suddenly decided that like babies would be digital because during that padme birth scene when the droid is holding those babies they look weird those things luke and leia look weird later on i'm pretty sure they had Later on, I'm pretty sure they had like real babies or dolls or something that like Obi Wan's holding. But when the droid has them, uh-uh. no, 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 no. <laughs> the absolute best thing that this movie had going for it is the premise. The premise and base story of this movie is fantastic, and it provides us with a lot of stuff that I think we're going to get to in a couple of minutes. Yeah, the idea but for was me, there. <laughs> everything about the execution here just didn't deliver. And again, if you disagree with me, if you love this movie, that's fine. I am glad that you get enjoyment out of it. But I have been waiting to say this. I've been waiting to say this for a while. (laughs) You know what? I'm actually still unsure how you feel about this movie. (laughs) We need to clarify ourselves. This is like just such a huge moment in mine and Anders's relationship because we have never really agreed on anything in like two and a half years. <laughs> I, just, I just feel so close to you right now, Anders. <laughs> oh my god, I'm dying. Everything's fine. Oh, oh man. Uh, all right, so moving on from that. <laughs> well, could you take us through a couple of ways that this movie actually kind of builds on what came before? Because it does. It does yeah, do some does. work to build the franchise. Absolutely. So this movie contains a lot of answers to questions that we have had since A New Hope, or I guess since people have had for like years and years and years and years at this point. For us, like it wasn't quite that long, but for some people they had been waiting years and years. So we see how attachment can lead to the dark side as warned across the films. Yoda has been warning against this since Empire Strikes Back and we knew it somehow led Anakin to becoming Vader, but actually seeing it happen was thrilling, although we didn't get enough time with it, honestly, mostly because we wanted Mm -hmm. to see that so badly and we wanted to believe Mm -hmm. it. Luke's attachment to his friends and his determination to be attached to Vader, for that matter, is what anchors him and keeps him in the light in Return of the Jedi, and we see it as Anakin's downfall here. So that was pretty important and meaningful, I think, um, because or else mm-hmm. kind of everything crumbles. So, it's supposed <laughs> to be meaningful. <laughs> yeah, and I think in some parts it was very successful. So, I, I mean, I, I do want to give them that. It just, we didn't get enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then the next question that we had was, how did Luke and Obi-Wan end up on Tatooine? How did Leia get to Alderaan? Why did Yoda decide to go into exile? Now, obviously, we know. And Yoda's, like, little space shuttle is insane. (laughs) (laughs) When he takes off of Kashyyyk is crazy. Why did the Wookiees have that? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, guys, hold this. I might need to run away. Exactly. Backup plan. (laughs) Just one Yoda-sized He just leaves Luminara behind. Yes. (laughs) Well, he thought that she was shut down. He thought she was shut down. That is true. 
<laughs> and then of course we see Vader's helmet coming on, which was very, very exciting. Mm -hmm. From the time he walks onto screen in the opening moments of A New Hope, everyone's been wondering how and why he's in that suit. And now mm -hmm. we know it's because mm -hmm. he's, you know, been charbroiled. Also a thing though, I definitely think that those droids attached the legs way too quick. Like yeah. they just like came up and were just like, leg, leg. <laughs> Bam, bam. Yeah, they got to attach nerves and stuff, man. I mean, that takes a while. Nah, it's fine. <laughs> Look, it's not supposed to be comfortable for Anakin at all. Yeah, I no. mean, <laughs> the hate sure. will fuel him. He hates his new body. <laughs> He's really pissed. <laughs> mm -hmm. He really is, guys. He's real mad. <laughs> He's mad. <laughs> okay, and then next we finally see how Palpatine maneuvered his chess pieces to come out on top over the Jedi which was pretty dang impressive. The culmination of a thousand year Sith plan to bring about the end of the Jedi and the Republic that has just been fed from Master Apprentice, Master Apprentice, all the way from Plagueis to Palpatine. And here it is, and he wins mm -hmm. very handily too. Yeah, This is one of the most complicated convoluted schemes and everything other than Anakin's burning body fell perfectly into place. This is like the one time Palpatine actually seemed co like concerned when they got to Mustafar, he was yeah. like, crap, get him into a medical bay now. <laughs> I like, need oh. him alive for a while longer. Yeah, just a smidge. <laughs> oh, man. Daniel, how does this movie build our knowledge of the Force and what the Force can do? So we don't get a great explanation, uh, but we do see the disfiguring nature of the dark side. So there's kind of two paths you could take with the Palpatine face scarring. Uh, the dark side in and of itself is said to corrupt the physical body and Sith Lords can kind of mask themselves to blend in with people. But when they're just kind of embracing the dark side, they let it all out and like Palpatine's face after he shoots the lightning or he could have burned himself because it's so disfiguring that close. Who knows? Uh, but that is part of, uh, you know, the powers of the dark side is that it will corrupt you from the inside. We also see Anakin's eyes change from his normal color to that red and yellow that we've also seen Maul have. Uh, it's the start of that corruption in there. The dark side, you know, it's it's bad for you guys. Don't do it. <laughs> Very true. We also get our first hints all the way back here in Revenge of the Sith. We get hints at force healing abilities, something that will show up much, much later. When Palpatine discovers that burned Anakin, he places his hand on his head, almost like a priest would to a sick disciple. But obviously healing with the dark side doesn't necessarily work quite as well. So he can't fully restore Anakin and just gets him up to the point where he can survive in the suit. Mm -hmm. This part, I love this part of this movie. The tragedy <laughs> of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Yes. <laughs> this scene is full on Ian McDermott bringing it. This is 100 miles per hour, fantastic. It shows a glimpse of the Sith history and their abilities. This is like the single line from the movie that led to speculation about if Sidious or more likely Plagueis actually created Anakin by manipulating midichlorians with the force. Maybe even Grogu, our little baby Yoda. He was born basically around the same time Anakin was. So I kind of like the idea of Plagueis making Anakin because it's accidental in his book. He likes messing around with midichlorians <laughs> while he's going crazy. So he doesn't really know what he's doing. And it would just be hysterical if he created the balancing force of the galaxy accidentally. <laughs> I'm here I mean, that. hey, the force is mad with all his meddling. So how about mm -hmm. here have the destruction of all your plans? 
There you yeah, go. Sure. Totally. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have to say real quick about the uh, tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Fantastic scene. We all love it. This is just the epitome of why I want more from these films. Like if we had had Palpatine kind of drip feeding the Sith history and knowledge at the same time that Anakin was learning the ways of the Jedi, like these little side conversations across two, three films would have been amazing to see. Uh, So it's those little glimpses of like what we could have gotten that are so great to see, but also it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because then you're sitting there wishing like, what could have been? I agree completely. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I've been on the, I've been on the I like Phantom Menace train this entire time, and I still mm-hmm. do, just for the record. But thinking about some of the takes you guys have had over our last few episodes and things, I'm starting to like speculate in my mind, like how could you still get the story aspects that are really good in Phantom Menace? And kind of fast forward it to maybe get to a point where you get a more adult Anakin the whole way through. And so now I've got my thing of, I'm like, all right, so we've got like a five minute sequence to open where Anakin's being born and the Jedi come and get him. They've identified him. However, they get him out of slavery, whatever. And Shmi mentions, oh, there was no father. Fast forward to when he's like 15. Yeah, we just needed a more aged up Anakin, really. But then you don't get his. Then you don't get his attachments. Like part of the reason that he has those is because he wasn't indoctrinated from such a young age. That's true. Yeah, I know. It's it's hard to it, at this point. It's like, well, what, where do you go? But at the end of the day, I mean, I still enjoy these prequels. Uh, I I love, like you said, I love Phantom Menace. Uh, I think we're going to get into this more in the sequels too. I just have so many issues of like. Oh, the paths they could have gone down, but I feel like if I if I keep thinking about that when I watch the movies, it's just gonna it's just gonna bother me. So instead, I just I'm trying to appreciate what we've got in front of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's Star Wars, and we love Star Wars, and give us all the exactly. Star Wars. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're still gonna watch it. Like, we're not gonna not watch. Oh yeah, it. they're they're getting my money for sure. Anyways, it's fine. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's going to wrap up our main discussion. So let's move into recommendations. Colleen, you want to start us off? Yes, indeed. All right, so our first one is Leia, Princesses of Alderaan by Claudia Gray. My Star Wars author queen, I love her. This is a canon book. It's set when Leia is 16 and just starting her political career. It's a YA novel. It showcases Leia's relationship with her parents, her, her mother. Oh, my God, I love her mother. Brea, she's amazing. Her early friendship with <laughs> Adeline Holdo from Last Jedi. <laughs> she's the Luna Lovegood of Star Wars. So this this book, I just adored it. And it also gives insight into how the Rebellion and the Senate were kind of functioning during this time between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Gives a little bit of a different perspective on that. Next, we have Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith. These are comics by Charles Sewell. Holy crap, you guys, these comics are stunningly beautiful. They are gorgeous. The writing is fantastic. They start off exactly when Vader kind of stumbles his Frankenstein's monster body off of that medical cart and he starts crushing stuff. He even throws Palpatine. Like he is so mad and out of control that Palpatine can't stop him. So he gets tossed. But then Palpatine immediately comes back and claps back and is like, you need to stop that. And now you have many missions I'm sending you on, even though you're just recovering. (laughs) 
uh, it basically is about Vader coming to terms with who he is and what his new life is going to be like, which is not great. And it also has the rise of the Grand Inquisitor, which is amazing. Flo has now met the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. And then it also shows some of the fall of the Jedi who survived the initial purge. So there's a lot going on in these comics. Definitely recommend them. They're in a couple of collected volumes, so you don't have to get each individual comic. And then finally, my dude, Timothy Zahn, his Canon Thrawn trilogy. You can find out what the Empire is up to between Revenge of the Sith and Rebels as you follow Thrawn across his Imperial career trajectory. Thrawn Alliances 2 shows Clone Wars era Padme and Anakin when their relationship is actually still kind of good. So that's nice to see those two together actually working things out together. Yeah, you want to you want to see the nice parts of it. Um, so speaking of Claudia Gray, Colleen, I'm glad you brought her up. I've got the uh, Star Wars, the new High Republic novel, Into the Dark right here. I'm excited ah. to uh, read that. Wasn't even on my recommendations, but you said Claudia Gray. And I was like, oh, I've got her <laughs> book right here. Um, and I have the Thrawn novels on my uh, bookshelf. I'm about to start those next. So very excited for those. I'm glad you recommend them. Um, I am here to tell you guys that it's like poetry. It rhymes, just as George said. Uh, when we did Return of the Jedi, I suggested the 2017 Star Wars Battlefront 2 video game. And I said, oh, you know, it's an interesting plot for advancing the story after Return of the Jedi. And here we are, and I'm saying Battlefront 2 from 2005. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm telling you guys to play the story campaign. Uh, this one's interesting because you follow the 501st. Uh, so you get to see Anakin's unit from the like beginning days of the Clone Wars. And then it curves off into this alternate timeline where the empire crushes the rebellion on Hoth. Um, so it's not canon anymore, but it's interesting to see the point of view of a regular clone soldier. Um, there's a, there's a quote when you're going to go to the Jedi temple that I find really interesting. This was before the clone wars, um, you know, chip storyline where we know why the clones turned. They're talking about how, what I remember about the rise of the empire is, is how quiet it was. It was a silent trip. We all knew what was about to happen, what we were about to do. Uh, so it's an interesting take that before we got the chip storyline, the clones were in on it from the beginning. Um, so that's a, hmm. it's an interesting insight into, uh, you know, what, what could have been in, in a different era of canon. So mm -hmm. yeah, go play it. It's a, it's still a fun game, even though it's, uh, oh my gosh, 16 years old at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start. So last episode after Attack of the Clones, Colleen recommended watching The Clone Wars, which you definitely should. Uh, but if you were to pair something with this movie, I would recommend the final four episodes of season seven, Siege of Mandalore. Uh, they happen concurrently with Revenge of the Sith. And there is a lot of extra context and detail going on in these um, you get a very close detail of what it was like for a Jedi, not Jedi, we'll call Ahsoka <laughs> whatever you will, um, to go through Order 66 and attempt to survive. And following on from that, I would also recommend Ahsoka, the novel by E.K. Johnson, Anakin's former apprentice who was on the run. This is a great look at what it was like for anyone who did manage to survive the purge, what they, what decisions they had to make to survive and what sort of things that they were wrestling with on a personal, on a spiritual, on the force level at that point. Mm -hmm. And then finally, as always, I do recommend the novelization of this movie by Matthew Silver. It is a lot better than the film. 
a lot of the takes you heard me just rant about, I will set aside for the novelization. It is very well written. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to some of the things Colleen mentioned earlier, you get some inner monologue from Dooku in the beginning, a, a nice explanation of why all the separatist leaders are alien and ultimately why in the future the Empire seems to be entirely made of humans and how he thinks mm -hmm. this whole showdown with Obi-Wan and Anakin at the start of the movie is going to go. Somehow, <laughs> all of these like Sith seem to forget about the whole rule of two thing. Plagueis, prior to uh, Phantom Menace, was like, oh, me and my apprentice, we're going to share power, because that's totally the Sith way. And Dooku seems to think that they are going to recruit Anakin and have him just be like under both of him and Insidious, and, like, and nothing will happen to him. Not great how the mo great works. moment. Like you see it on his <laughs> face in the movie when Palpatine says kill him. You see the look on his face, you get what's racing through his mind during that. <laughs> Fantastic. So what happens when you get caught in an MLM? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it. He's really wishing that there was an HR right now. Yeah, and totally. Also, not necessarily related to the story itself, but throughout the novel, there's this poem that Matthew Stover writes. Um, and I do want to highlight the last few lines that end the novel. It kind of gets to the heart of what Star Wars is and what fantasy storying could be and one of the reasons why we love them so much. So this thing ends, the dark is generous and it is patient and it always wins, but in the heart of its strength lies its weakness. One lone candle is enough to hold it back. Love is more than a candle Love can ignite the stars. All right. So I need to go get married again so I can put this in my mouth. <laughs> it's my favorite thing from Star Wars. It's so Whoa. good. Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm fine. You and your husband, Flo, you're just uh, pushing back the dark. That's it. <laughs> Woo. I mean, ladies, if you'd like to hear Anders read this to you, you can contact him at yet another Star Wars <laughs> podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Whew, that got me a certain kind of way. Um, man, all right, how am I going to give you my takes after that? <laughs> okay. Given what your takes are and your general attitude about what just happened, I think it would be easy. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so I decided that my theme today was going to be some Mustafar crispy hot recommendations for summer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I picked some like ridiculous, like summer fun, easy watching things for you. <laughs> some are good, some are laughable, but we will start with my all time favorite bad movie, which to be honest, I saw in a plane the first time. And my sister and I watched it three times during that flight. <laughs> um, and it is set during a hot Florida spring break. Yes, I am talking about the classic American Idol movie from Justin to Kelly. It is, if you have not seen it, you have not lived. That's it. End of story. It's a horrible movie, but honestly, it has some great one-liners. And also, <laughs> Anders had to mute his mic because he's laughing so hard. Oh my god. It also has great dance numbers. One of them is with beach balls. So really just come get it. <laughs> it really brings some big spring break vibes, which I'm going on spring break next week. So spring break is on my mind. It is like Britney Spears's Crossroads, except for better. And by better, I mean funnier. So great. Anders, have you seen it? That's a no. <laughs> I have it on DVD. I'll send it to you. Don't <laughs> worry. I've got you. I don't have a DVD player. 
I, I will also buy you a DVD player for this reason. <laughs> okay. Next up on the Crispy Summer Faves, obviously a classic. I'm shouting out Dirty Dancing because, I mean, if you haven't seen Dirty Dancing, I actually don't know what you're doing with your life. The romance and the acting are about 500 steps up from Revenge of the Sith. And the heat is turned way, way up. Like, this is an actual romance. It's, like, pretty steamy, honestly. Like, I was pretty shocked when I first saw it as, like, a preteen. It's good. So, yeah, turn that on. You can watch Baby carry the watermelon for, like, the millionth time and just, like, die over Patrick Swayze. Because, like, oh, my God, he's so perfect. (laughs) And then for TV, honestly, like, Somebody asked me what I would watch if I could watch anything right now. And for TV, I'm going to have to go with Gilmore Girls. I need a rewatch immediately. Again, better romance than this movie. We also get like five of these romances. (laughs) And we get a hot, moody boy with longish hair in our guy, Jess. Just like Anakin. And yes, Rory should have ended up with him. Rory and Jess all the way. Which one's he? He is the writer. Oh, he's Bylo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the hottest one that she should have ended up with. So binge the whole thing. Forget all about this movie's horrible dialogue. You're welcome. Enjoy it. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just saying, like, all right, well, have some mindless watches. Mm-hmm. You know what? I agree with that. I uh, I just you know what? I'll, I'll give one last one. Ted Lasso. I just watched oh. it and it was fantastic. Oh, Ted Lasso is so good. <laughs> It's just a feel-good story, which you need after this depressing one. Yes. Yeah. So on that note, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. So thank you all for joining us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at yet another Star Wars pod. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and check out all the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can also find Anders, Flo, and Colleen on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast, where they are currently doing a dive into Star Wars Rebels. Rebels. Please, guys, watch Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> uh, you can also find Colleen's Star Wars book reviews on bohemiangeekstudies.com. So tune in next week. We're going to be doing a special bonus episode looking back at how Star Wars built an extended franchise prior to be acquired by Disney back in 2012. So, yeah. That'll be a a fun one to see kind of the look into the past of Star Wars. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.